0: Jesse?
1: Katie, I think we should tell people about our uh, our font fight.
0: Really? You want to get into this now? I'm already annoyed with you. Yes. You were 10 minutes late, and then you had to go. No. Yes. We were going to. No. no. Yes. Yes. We were supposed to record at 10.50, and you finally sent the. Well, no. Yes. We are supposed
1: to record at 11. Then, because I'm a good guy, I said we could do it earlier. But then you had to walk moose. You had to walk moose. And
0: I, I wrote you back, and I said, OK, I'll be there at 10.50. OK, wait. Let's really do this. Let's do this.
1: Let's look at the <laughs> email record. Yes. Katie, 1059. Yes. Link, yes, Jesse.
0: You're the one who's supposed to send the link. We were supposed to meet at 1050. At I emailed you after I've been sitting here for 10 minutes waiting for you to send me the link.
1: Why did you wait 10 minutes rather than just say I'm ready?
0: I, because I over look at our text messages. I said 1050 and you said sure.
1: I wasn't checking our text messages because you always emailed me. You
0: responded to it. You said Sure.
1: You know what, Katie? File a grievance with the union. That's all I can
0: say. <laughs> Look, I am correct about this. I said 1050. You said sure. I got here at 1050. I was waiting for you to send me the link and you sent it to me at 11 o'clock. We could sit
1: here and argue all night over who's right, who's wrong, who did what. <laughs> but these oh the God. people died in the sub, whatever. It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> all right. So now that we've cleared up that you were wrong about the time, let's get into the font. You're wrong about fonts.
1: So we, in the course of our this endeavor of ours, we sometimes have to share Google Docs. You complain that someone else we share Google Docs with who will remain nameless uses a childlike font.
0: It's Lex. It's Lex. <laughs>
1: <laughs> bleep. It's Lex. Bleep, bleep that out. You're, get, you're editing this. You're going to bleep that out.
0: Lex, stop using Comic Sans as the font.
1: <laughs> you Every time you do notes and you share it with me, I'm greeted with 11-point Ariel, which is so... Yes. Katie, we're adults, yes. okay? I've been bar mitzvahed. You have a dog. <laughs> 12 point Times New Roman.
0: No, look, we are not. This is not the New York Times. This is a podcast. Ariel is a sophisticated font. Are you using a typewriter? That is the only time to use Times New Roman. You were using a fucking typewriter. I
1: wish I was using a typewriter. Typewriters are fucking awesome. Typewriters are better than you. Oh, my God. Uh, um.
0: Okay. I'm going to put you in a sub and send you down to the Titanic.
1: <sighs> Jesus. Too soon. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, we are going to talk about that shortly, but before we do, I have to address something that we discussed in the last episode. I don't remember exactly why we talked about this, but at some point we talked about income-based Repayment student loan repayment plans. Do you remember why this came up?
1: Yeah, because a woman had a nice library and you were mad at her about it.
0: Oh, right. That's right. That's right. I said on the show that this woman with a nice library who is complaining about her student loans, she needs to Google income-based repayment plans. And if she's making, as she says, $35,000 as an adjunct at Columbia, her payment will be next to zero. That is true. But I got a message from one of our listeners who gave me some very... Interesting and important information that I personally didn't know. There's something called a tax bomb. So if you pay your student loans for 20 years or 25 years and then your loans are forgiven, then you can and probably will be taxed on the amount that's forgiven. So our listener told me about a friend of his who got something like $170,000 forgiven and then had a tax bill the next year of like $70,000. I checked this with our accountant this is real. I looked at the loan website for the government. This is real. So just if you are taking student loan repayment advice from this podcast. <laughs> I <was gonna> say, <laughs>
1: bless you. you imagine? I didn't sneeze. I laughed. This sort of the sort of person <laughs> who is like <laughs> sitting there with a little visor on in their attic <laughs> machine listening to our podcast. <laughs> Guys, crypto crypto is coming back
0: <laughs> just, to the moon. It, Invest in NFTs and also make sure you Google tax bomb before you decide to pay the minimum on your on your student loan and then expect it to get forgiven after twenty or twenty five years or whatever it is. Google tax bomb. That's the point.
1: Uh Google Tax Bomb. That I don't just as a matter of public policy. Someone who can't afford to pay back a hundred seventy thousand dollars is probably going to have a hard time paying back seventy grand. So I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. They also have repayment plans for that too, so you can uh, you can spread it out over a couple of years. I think is that how how I don't know. You're delinquent on your taxes all the time. Do they let you spread it out or their tax plans?
1: It's less that I'm delinquent that I don't do quarterly, so I, I wait, end up wasting money, and then do it at the last. Wait, minute. why is and it? I always ask for extensions.
0: Why is it? I don't do quarterly either because I don't want to or know how to why do you does it cost more to. to not do quarterly or does it just cost more at once
1: no there's a penalty according to my accountant who i think is your account it's
0: also my account okay i'm gonna check on that note to self
1: <laughs> no <Noel> berlatsky right
0: <laughs> well it, we did want a jew <laughs>
1: uh all right uh, keeping up the light tone i can we talk about destroyed sub discourse for a minute no cool let's do it um this has been <laughs> just like a weird week on twitter I actually, I'm not usually this much of a uh, cliche libtard type, despite being a libtard. Yeah, I do, I do feel like we should sort of acknowledge it is a okay. I know this is a hot take, and I know that usually why we focus on X rather than Y is stupid. At the same time, we were all watching this happen. There was a migrant ship that capsized with 750 people and at least 82 of them are dead.
0: I mean, 500 are missing.
1: 500 are missing. I know the numbers. 82 was last. I saw it's rising by the hour. Um, Sorry. I checked five hours ago. Uh, That's, I don't know. Is that weird? Isn't it? I feel like that's an interesting debate because unfortunately ships capsizing are not unusual. Five people getting trapped in a sub and you think they're suffocating death has in certain ways, more news value. But, like, is that inherently fucked up? We focus so much more on one than the other?
0: Yeah, I th- I've i been thinking about this a lot. I do think this is inherently fucked up. And, in fact, I might not even know about the fact that 500 people are probably dead. of uh, These refugees, these people fleeing fucking war-torn countries to get to Europe, I probably, honestly... Might not even know about it, except that I saw people complaining on Twitter.
1: <laughs> so in that sense, the yes. down sub,
0: it was an awareness spread awareness. Yeah. yeah, so I do think it's kind of fucked up, and I have been thinking about why the we as we in the media and also just in general, like the zeitgeist, would pay more attention to five people in a sub than seven hundred migrants crossing the ocean. I, I think part of it is the novelty. Yeah. The, and also the irony that this sub was was like searching for the Titanic.
1: It's crazy, yeah.
0: Part of it is also because it like this is an American company. It feels more local in a way. It actually is local to me because it's a Seattle-based company. So this is also like a local news story. Yeah. So I think part of it is just like the novelty and but I do think there is also an element of like I don't know if it's racism or classism or something, but it is our what the news tends to focus on is skewed is, is skewed in favor of rich people yeah. problems for sure.
1: I guess the comparison would be if a ship carrying 750 migrants disappear. So part of what makes this a better news story is outlets could cover it in the process of it happening before we knew the ending. We now right. know, we think we know that it just imploded and they died. Um, I'm curious how much coverage a missing migrant ship with 750 people in it. Well, we didn't know where it was. It just fell off radar. It's drifting somewhere. That would get some coverage. I don't think that would get as much.
0: I think it would get just as much. I mean, remember the Malaysian, the missing Malaysian plane? That's true. That got a huge amount of coverage because that's, and that's got nothing to do with place. I mean, this, this is a Malaysian flight. Yeah. It's not Western at all. But there is something about the mystery there. Yeah.
1: I guess it's just like if I don't know. It's a breaking news story, whereas yeah, I don't know. I anyway, I feel weird about it, but that was just I just wanted to point that out again because I'm a libtard. But I will say, I sort of I thought I'd built up a bit of a Twitter callus and like Twitter maybe couldn't shock me as much. I just like people's responses sort of shocked me. Like I'm all for gallows humor. I'm all for like even Holocaust jokes, but before we knew, okay, it looks like. Apparently, it imploded near the Titanic. That would suggest they died quickly. That was like the best outcome remaining, that they died quickly. But for a while, we thought, I thought, they were just in a fucking tin can, slowly suffocating to death. Can you imagine a worse? I can't imagine very many worse deaths than that. Can you? Should we rank our top worst three worst deaths? Because one of them for me is like just suffocating somewhere with no help coming in a constrained space. That's a nightmare.
0: Mine is... Being sat on by you, that's number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, While you're gaming and you just like accidentally sit on the couch and I'm just there and you just can't, you don't notice me because you've got your noise canceling headphones on. I'm too small. Because you're
1: too small and quiet while you're not quiet.
0: And you're playing Slay the Spire and you're sweating (laughs) on me. That's number one. Number two is probably like locked in syndrome. And then number three, yeah, uh, being in a a tiny submarine in the bottom of the ocean.
1: Locked in syndrome is, is one of mine too and it's pretty similar.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this whole – I'm with you when it comes to gala humor. I, like, I I do appreciate dark humor. I think it's a good way of relieving stress and tension. My problem with a lot of the humor that you saw on Twitter specifically is that it wasn't funny. There's nothing funny. It
1: was literally – at the time, they were presumably suffocating to death. Just, yeah, it wasn't clever. It was like, it was like they deserve that's it. funny. People are suffocating. Yeah, they deserve because it. They're because rich. they're
0: rich. Yeah. So if you had some good jokes about how they deserved it because they were rich, that would be fine. But these jokes weren't funny. And the one thing that I kept thinking, like, before the news, we're recording this on Thursday, and yes, the news seems to be that, um, you know, it, it imploded at some point, so so quick death. But when we thought that possibly they were still alive under the under the sea, I kept thinking like I bet they're you know they're like waiting for rescue and they're they're holding on to the hope and they're being kept alive by just the sense that probably the whole world is out there rooting for them. <laughs> But really what was happening was that people, assholes on Twitter, was saying that they deserved it because they were rich. It's like the opposite of like – do you remember when um, the Thai Thai cave children or like the Chilean miners were caught? And people really did come together and there was just this sense of like hope and relief when they were actually found. It's the opposite of that. It's like disappointment that they didn't suffer. I
1: I think most people were rooting for a good outcome. It was just like the worst worst lefties on Twitter. But
0: then I also also saw like there was some fucking horseshoe shit going on here because I also saw (laughs) just today, I saw a couple tweets about how, you know what was to blame, Jesse? Wokeness.
1: Wokeness was (laughs) to blame.
0: Yeah, because the CEO at some point said something about not hiring 50 year old men and they had a bunch of female engineers. And therefore, wokeness is the reason that December. Well, wokeness
1: was why Putin was able to invade Russia too. It's true. True. Do you want to hear a um, a pretty good Holocaust joke? Oh, I'd love to. A guy dies in the Holocaust. He gets to heaven. Uh, He meets God. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Sorry. He meets God, and he's like, he wants to sort of brown nose to God a little bit. So he's like, Hey, God, nice to meet you. Do you want to hear a joke about the Holocaust? God looks a little bit skeptical. He's like, okay, whatever. The guy tells the joke. God is totally stone-faced. And then the guy who told the joke was like, well, I guess you had to be there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Can I read you my favorite joke um, about the sub thing? There was one really good one.
1: Yeah, that's the best way to deliver a joke is to read it. Go ahead.
0: Occupy Democrats. Breaking. Republican billionaire Elon Musk is thrust into another nightmare PR daster as it's revealed that the missing Titanic submersible company previously praised his satellite communication company Starlink and said that it would be relying on the service to provide the communications for the Titanic expedition. Several several more paragraphs. Retweet and heart if you demand an investigation and consider investing in Tribal, a woke new Twitter competitor that is currently doing a round of equity crowdfunding and just blew past 1.4 million raise from 3,600 of its users. So they're, If you want to own a small piece of what is... Qui- yes. So they are using they're this... They're literally
1: raising money off these sub Yes. Yes.
0: Oh, my God. Also,
1: the thing with Starlink wasn't even true. You can't get a signal from space. In the, Jesse... Or it wasn't equipped it.
0: It doesn't matter. You can invest as little as $100 or as much as you'd like. Here's the link. I'll send it to you.
1: Thank you. Um, I mean, I think what the victims would have wanted was for us to grow this podcast platform, frankly.
0: I mean, I think they were probably listeners. Uh, Who isn't at this point?
1: I don't know, man. It's, it's This is an interesting example of the fine line jokes i just people seem to earnestly want these folks to suffer i don't want i don't want people to suffer even if they're even if they're rich not working class like us
0: yeah i mean it's it's like they think that rich people are subhuman in a way like they can't suffer there's a lot
1: of just like casually like dehumanizing discourse on twitter it's so normal not just about rich people like everyone i don't know Um, okay. Can I give one quick circumcision update before we get to more of your stuff?
0: Absolutely not. Oh my God. This is like, we're doing more, this is like longer than our Keffel's 17 part series.
1: I know. I know. I, I, I screwed up. I meant to say this last week, but after our episode on circumcision went up, that was two episodes ago. You should listen to it. I got an email from Eliyahu Ungar Sargon. He's the sort of mainstream anti-circumcision guy whose work we talked about. Normal guy, good guy. He pointed me to a short video that he'd actually posted June 4th. That was less than a week before our episode came out. In it, he sits down with Eric Klopper. Katie, pop quiz. Do you remember who Eric Klopper was?
0: Unfortunately, I do. Very angry man. Tell the people who he
1: was. Okay. Very angry man. he
0: He was a staffer at, was it Harvard?
1: He was, yeah, he worked in like an admin role at Harvard.
0: Yeah, and he did this like one-man show, this two-hour long one-man show on campus. like in Two, a hour, 20, two hour 20 minutes, I believe. <laughs> Jesse watched all of it. This one-man show at this like theater uh, on campus about his anger towards his father and the Jews um, that he had been circumcised. He took his shirt off at one point. It was sort of a striptease. Uh, we did not, unfortunately, get to see his, uh, his circumcised penis. Very angry man.
1: People in the audience did get to see it apparently. That just part wasn't really? Yeah. I remember there was a whole thing where like they did it violate oh, Cambridge right. nudity statutes. Anyway, um Eliahu Ungar Sargon, he sent me a video, seven minute video or so. He sat down with Eric clopper recently and they sort of had uh Eric uh Eliyahu had criticized Eric uh harshly. They had a raproshma. Is that a word?
0: It uh, sounds, sounds Hebrew to me. It's
1: French, but good good try. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, Eric Klopper denounces anti-Semitism. The video doesn't really go into any depth or anything, but they're like, on good terms now, they came back together. So we made fun of the guy because his show was ridiculous, but we'll include a link to that video in the show notes.
0: And I will not be watching that. Um, okay, Jesse, we, a couple more things before we get to the meat today. Um, you remember Chris Ruffo?
1: You know, it doesn't ring a bell. Was he one of the people who died on the sub?
0: Chris Ruffo. We have talked about him a lot on the show. Seattle area culture warrior now uh, in leadership at the New College of Florida, where he and some other Ron DeSantis cronies are have uh, have staged a coup at the very once very very liberal New College of Florida.
1: Can I can I just say if I'm trying to figure out who should be on the board or in a position of power uh, at a public university, probably a Twitter figure who lives thousands of miles away. It just makes sense,
0: especially one with no. Experience in education. <laughs> Educational That's what I administration. Look for. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Right. He did once make films for PBS, so he has that going for him. So, Rufo, we have criticized him frequently on this show. If you're interested in what happened at New College, we'll post links in the show notes. So, I've been very open about my feelings about Chris Rufo, but he tweeted something that I did enjoy uh, this week. So, for some reason, at the New College of Florida, they have changed the mascot. The, the mascot before was the null set. Can you explain what that is?
1: Isn't a null set just an empty, like, mathematical set? Yeah. I would like, like, some nothing? brackets with nothing
0: in it, I guess. Wait, so. so
1: their their mascot was nothing, basically? Yeah. Is that, like, when nerds think something's clever, but they just should have been bullied more? Is that, like, what that is?
0: Yeah, it's not quite as clever. There's a, there's a Quaker school in North Carolina who has the mascot of the fighting pacifist. I appreciate that more. Anyway, so... They've changed, the, they've changed the mascot to a banyan tree, which is apparently there are these banyan trees on, on campus at New College of Florida, which is, in, uh, which is in Sarasota. So Rufo, earlier this week, he posted a, a link to uh, an opinion piece, an op-ed in the Sarasota Herald Tribune. It was by a woman named Robin Todd williams She's a teacher, and she's the president of, of the Public Education Caucus. So I want to read you a little, a little bit of this piece, you but before I do... Why don't you describe the the logo?
1: Oh, I mean, it's just like a black guy eating fried chicken. <laughs> it's really, really no, it's it's a jacked tree. It's like a tree with like huge. Um, this this probably says something about my, my own workout habits. I don't know what muscles those are. The muscles that is biceps. it uh, triceps, I biceps, it biceps broken, pop up when you like flex your arm. It's just a really jacked tree. This tree, if it played a sport, would be probably a middle linebacker, maybe a defensive end. There's these roots connecting its arms to the ground. It's an anthropomorphic jacked D1 college football tree.
0: Okay, so this is what this educator said in this op-ed. To anyone with a cursory knowledge of racial stereotypes, the new mascot should have set off alarms, dot, 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 Interim president Richard Corcoran and the new college board of trustees, which includes culture warrior Christopher Rufo among its members, supported and chose an altered mascot that depicts a tree that has been anthropomorphized to closely resemble an angry, threatening brown individual. (laughs) So I've criticized Rufo plenty. But once again, he inspires the absolute derangement dumbest just absolute derangement absolute fucking derangement although i mean the tree does it does appear the leaves do appear to be cornrows i (laughs) will admit that
1: this is i'm just like i just don't i don't see it it's almost like you did that story about how people put up monkeys as like a christmas tradition in some neighborhood of seattle yeah and someone was like clearly that's supposed to be black people it's yeah if you if you look at this and you see a black person uh I don't know the what to tell you.
0: Yeah, you're that's racist. exactly what Rufo said.
1: Well, I guess in this case we have to agree with Chris Rufo. We're an open-minded podcast. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, he, maybe he should run the entire UF system, not just New College.
0: Well, why not just make him Secretary of Education?
1: It's also funny because you know what the you know what the University of Florida mascot is, right?
0: Uh, oh, Seminole. <laughs>
1: it's, literally, it's literally, it's like, you've got some other s- stuff to work through yeah. before we get to this sort of subliminal, implicit <laughs> racism. You've got the uh, University of South Florida, greedy Jews, <laughs> the uh, Tampa Bay Tech, uh, Pollocks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot.
0: All right, Jesse, one more thing before we get to the meat of uh, today's podcast sandwich. So a lot of
1: appetizers today. Yeah.
0: So I want to tell you about a corner of Twitter that I accidentally stumbled upon this week. My intro to this subculture came via this tweet. Jesse, why don't you read this for us?
1: Okay. This is uh, at nobody three five eight one zero zero three six. So like, I wasn't going to say anything. I quietly unfollowed. But this caps is the kind of shit that pisses me off. Going on four fucking years. I have been taking a hundred percent precautions. Just because you're a lazy mf that doesn't give a shit doesn't mean the rest of us are faking. Shame on you. Can you what is going on here?
0: Okay, so he is, this person, uh, gender unclear, has attached a screenshot of this, a screenshot to this tweet. And the screenshot is of an account under the name T. Ryan Gregory. And that tweet reads, if we pretend like we're all taking 100% precautions 100% of the time and 100% of context, People may give up because they can't meet that phony standard. That's one reason I think urging people not to hide their real behavior for the sake of optics is counterproductive. What would you just guess this is about? COVID stuff. Correct. So T. Ryan Gregory, is, he's an evolutionary biologist at a university in Ontario, and he was recently bullied off of Twitter because it turns out he did something very fucked up.
1: Was it uh, – did he uh, do like a racist college mascot? What happened?
0: He went to dinner at a restaurant and sat outside without a mask on. Mm
1: that that can't have happened. It's 2023.
0: Yeah, so I don't have a copy of the photo, but the photo, I guess maybe he posted the photo on Twitter. And that photo set all of this off. So T. Ryan Gregory is part of this group that I didn't know existed until I saw this tweet. This somehow came across my feed. They call themselves 100 percenters. And that (laughs) refers to the,
1: the three percenters.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There's just lots of more of them. And that refers to the fact that they take COVID precautions one hundred percent of the time.
1: Wait, there is a group that identifies as being one hundred percent COVID proof.
0: Yes, and that this is sent so me sad. Yeah, this sent me down this rabbit hole, and while in this rabbit hole, I came across a tweet that almost has to be seen to be believed. But because we can't show it, I am just going to ask you to read it. Will you read this one for us?
1: This is Jason. Jason, parentheses, he, him. Yeah? Co Jason Taku in Goa. Yeah. This is my bed in the garage because my partner has dropped precautions. I take precautions 100% of the time. Don't tell me this hasn't upended every fucking second of my life. These people are really sick. It's a photo of a tent. It looks like there's an air purifier pointed into it. What is. So people really like develop a sense of identity out of being hundred percenters, I guess.
0: Yeah. This guy is living in his garage, sleeping in a tent and like beaming an air purifier and it's like knocked over. So he's got this air purifier knocked. It does not seem safe. Okay. So at first I thought that this also, was- can I just say,
1: can I just say one thing? There's this thing people do where they tweet something ridiculous that everyone will make fun of. And then when everyone makes fun of them, they like act like it's a conspiracy. So his next tweet Looks like word has spread in the Russian troll and useful idiot brigade. Yeah. Time to lock this one down. That was
0: my fault. So I um, I saw this a few days ago. I took a screenshot of it and I tweeted it. And that tweet went not like hugely viral, but like Joe Rogan, We, t- it got some like, it definitely got some traction. I, I clipped out his-, his name so people can see it, but obviously people found him. You're a saint. I'm a saint. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but at first, when I first saw this, I thought that this was a joke, but then I read the replies. Let's. I, I put these in our notes. Let's just read some back and forth.
1: Okay. I'm sorry you have to live like this. I no longer see my family since they stopped masking.
0: Here's another one. That's what I call 100. When we had COVID in our household, I slept with a mask. We had three HEPA filters running 24 seven, and I was literally sitting on the toilet with an elastometric, Don't know what that is. P100 mask. Elastomeric. Meric. Elastomeric. That's Elastomeric. one of those like ventilator masks that like. Um, like construction workers use, or like meth meth cookers. It worked. I consider myself 100% guy too because the alternatives suck.
1: Here's the guy with the tent again. Uh, I've tried to sleep in a mask and I can't. I know people sleep in CPAP masks all the time, so it's possible, but I can't do it. And yeah, the alternative is a neurotropic bat virus that hollows you out and wears your body like a cheap suit. Okay.
0: Interesting. I have not seen that description of, of COVID from the CDC. Here's another one. Say it ain't so. When the cautious drop their guard, that's the most frightening of all. I don't leave my house. I'm more cautious than ever, but no one else gives a damn. I've cut ties with everyone. Even people I used to trust are giving up, and it's horrifying to see.
1: I feel like – maybe I'm being too harsh here. I feel like a consistent theme of this podcast is folks with deep-seated mental health problems that aren't treated – And then there's like some societal event or concept that pops up that allows him to justify Mm -hmm. that behavior and make it seem like healthy. It seems like there's some of that going on here.
0: Yeah. Here's another one. I wear a mask around the house because my parents refuse to mask anymore. I keep a CR box, so that's an air filter, in my room running and drag one into the bathroom when I shower. Those are the only places I take my mask off. It sucks. I hate them and I can't wait to get out of here. I feel you.
1: I guess one more I feel this so much. I had to ban my partner from seeing me until they would mask around me. It took a year, but I won. I also put money on the table, which helped. They needed work. I offered a part-time job helping me. Still took three months to agree. It sucks, but I'm alive right now.
0: I think someone needs to tell this person that their partner is actually their employee. (laughs) Okay. So there's also a robust zero COVID community on Reddit. That's what they call themselves there. And that was, of course, the name of China's very failed COVID policies, which of course entailed incredibly strict lockdowns and quarantines until they finally abandoned that policy last December. The Reddit group isn't quite as dramatic as the 100%ers on Twitter, but I did see a parent ask what air filter to get to put on her kid's desk at school. And yes, the kid does mask. Can you imagine being that kid, the only kid in the class, wearing a fucking N95 Ugh. and with an air filter on your desk?
1: It's, uh, yeah, this is all very dark.
0: Yeah. I saw one post titled, I am close to giving up and I am so sorry. I just want to read you a little bit of this. I feel like I can't keep going with my safety precautions without losing my partner and losing out on on experiences that make a life worth living. My depression is going to consume me if I don't give in. I've been masking and testing weekly since the beginning of the pandemic, declining risky events and isolating myself, setting boundaries with those who are unsafe. I go outside and I feel like I'm living in a completely different reality than others. I see people laughing, loving on one another, enjoying the breeze and the sun on their face. It makes me jealous and sad. And then dot, dot, dot. I'm so tired. I study. No, I breathe disability justice. I love accessibility. I've held out for this long because I know in my heart, community care is what can truly save us, but I'm also depressed and anxious and literally don't want to exist here. Dot, dot, dot. I think of all who have died, have gotten disabled, all the trauma. I don't want to turn my back, but I feel beaten to conform. I know you all exist beyond this virtual platform and would appreciate my mass self in public. And we would have loving convos about our access needs, but you aren't here right now. Right now I have my partner, my friends who are done with this who have decided that they can't keep up with precautions because they too want to be free and enjoy life before they die. So it goes on. I'm like just so curious about the psychology of these people. Like it doesn't sound like this person is personally high risk or medically vulnerable. It doesn't sound like they have any sort of underlying medical condition that would make COVID deadly. They're just like trying to be a really good ally. And like, Vit vaccines exist. I mean, they obviously aren't perfect. I am sure that everybody who who writes on these forums and all of the hundred percenters on Twitter, I'm sure they have have gotten every vaccine under the sun. Like the the Venn diagram of people who are one hundred percenters and refuse to mask probably doesn't exist. It's like two separate yeah. circles. But this cannot be a healthy way to live. And, like, no, COVID is is just going to be a part of life from now on. It's just this is how it's going to be. So either you got to, like, give this up or commit yeah. to sleeping in the garage and never seeing the bottom of anyone's face until you die. Die of something else, to be clear, because they're not getting COVID. But it's just, yeah, whole whole fucking subculture. Yeah. Didn't know it existed. Anyway, T, uh, T. Ryan Gregory. So he has been bullied off of Twitter, but he is still posting on, uh, on Sproutable. So you can check on him there. Uh, all of his tweets are about COVID, by the way. Sproutable? It's one of these. Is that another? It's like, a Twitter clone. Mastodon, yeah.
1: Blue Sky. Jesus. Yeah. So, okay. He got bullied off because he violated one of the key norms of the community.
0: Right. He went outside oh, and fine. he ate dinner outside. So it's
1: like vampire rules, sort of. You you can't do.
0: That. Yeah. It was, it was, there was the sun was shining.
1: We had, um, well, we had like so many little things we want to get to at the top of the show. And now, and now here we are. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly attention-addled podcast?
0: Oh, damn. We totally forgot to do that. Uh, this is Block Your Important. I'm Katie Hersang.
1: And I'm Jesse Singleton. We're now three and a half hours in or something. We should just go straight <laughs> to housekeeping before this main, the meat we've been talking so much about. It's salami. Mm, Can. It would kill you to get some tofu. Uh, yeah, we're Blotter Reported. Go to blotchreported.org for uh, you can become a primo for $5 a month and up. You can get three extra episodes a month. We just dropped a great one about intersectional pileups in Michigan mm-hmm. and in Washington State where different groups' needs conflict. Should we just leave it at that? Or-
0: yeah. Okay. We'll be big.
1: One involved Muslims, Katie's faith.
0: Mm hmm. And the other involved penises, Jesse's faith.
1: My (laughs) faith. I'm a POC, person of cock, (laughs) Uh,
0: a penis of cock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can also check us out on Reddit, .reddit blockedreported.reddit.com. We have merch, barpodmerch.com. Apparently, we're about to introduce a new referral program where if you, yeah, you don't read your emails from Substack, no, I don't. We're flipping this on soon. You'll you'll get some sort of instructions, but if you refer friends to the podcast, uh, you can get some free paid subs like uh, not some months or something it's not a ponzi scheme we're not gonna like take all your money it's just literally you refer friends they sign up you get your subscription extended if you're a primo that sounds and it's not a ponzi scheme it's not a ponzi scheme but you need to you send 10 a dollar each to 10 people above you in the um it's like a shape with three sides with like a pointy Uh top
0: are there leggings Uh, like at the base of the pyramid
1: Yes, we have leggings you have to sell to your friends. Uh, no, the the referral thing is real. There'll be more info about that
0: soon. Anything else for housekeeping? Yes, we have merch if you go to. I just said that. Oh, you did? Okay, well, I got. How high are you? I, I'm i not high at all. I don't smoke anymore. I got <laughs> during the week. I don't smoke pot during the week anymore. <laughs> um, I got some of the merch. I got a, a Primo Donna hoodie in the mail, and I got one of our new her- our new hats. So I'm wearing only Barpod merch from now on. Just layers and layers. Where's
1: it made? What country?
0: USA. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me that. <laughs> um
1: I shouldn't have asked that. Anything else for housekeeping? A written reviews on iTunes. Uh oh yeah, the 4.64. 4, okay, wait. We should check in on this. We could check in on the battlefront. Apple Podcasts. God damn it. 4.6. We gotta get that up to 4.7. If you like this show and how organized we are and how we definitely remember to introduce ourselves, make sure to leave us a 5.0 rating.
0: Okay, Jesse, are you ready to move on?
1: Ooh, the top review. Five stars, almost as good as the fifth column. Ooh,
0: ouch. Jesse, are you familiar with the name Muller She Wrote?
1: Yeah, this is one of those resistance-lib Twitter accounts that sort of breathlessly followed the... Um, Well, it's funny. It's funny, isn't it? Because they thought Trump was going to jail forever. Right. And it turns out he might, but for totally different, different much, let's be honest, much stupider reasons.
0: It has nothing to do with the piston. It has everything to do with him storing his golf shirts with some classified documents. Actually, you know what? Let's do a crossover,
1: a mashup. You know why he was keeping all those things in his bathroom? And didn't want to hand them over because that's where the piss tape right, is,
0: right? Or maybe it's because he uses the golf shirts to clean up the piss after he's been gotten his golden showers. <laughs> these are
1: these are covered in Putin's urine. Yeah. I can't. Okay, can, yes, Mueller she wrote Twitter account. Yeah, pretty pretty well followed, right?
0: Yes, so it's a Twitter account run by a woman named Allison Gill, and as the name suggests, Gill is a part of the hashtag Resistance. So she she tweets a lot, like multiple times an hour throughout the day, and she largely tweets about Donald Trump and his various misdeeds. So her tweets often start with BREAKING or NEW or THREAD in all caps. Uh, here's an example. BREAKING. Holy shirtballs. Fulton County DA Fannie Willis has filed a motion to remove the attorney representing 10 of Georgia's fraudulent electors. The attorney's name is Kimberly Debro, a former assistant, blah, blah, blah. That's part of a thread breaking. Jack Smith is prepared to ask a grand jury to charge Trump. That's all caps with espionage, all caps, and obstruction of justice, all caps, as early as tomorrow, all caps, when Mark Meadows has flipped, all caps, and will plead guilty to several lesser charges. Not sure if this one's true. I will not pretend like I have been following every twist and turn of this case, but uh, according to Newsweek his lawyer denies report of a plea deal. Yeah, but the Palmer but the Palmer report
1: said it was true. That's another great resistance Twitter account.
0: Okay, so I don't know who to believe that honestly. Be I really don't. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly like don't care. Does that make us <laughs> does that make me a terrible person or a bad journalist that I don't care? Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> you're
1: it's like it's it's the same as how Trump is a criminal probably for reasons other than the piss tape which right. probably doesn't exist. You're a bad person but for so many other reasons, not right. this one.
0: So that's the tone. And for some reason, this has become popular. She has well over 600,000 followers on Twitter, and she's a prominent voice on resistance Twitter. There's a whole posse of these people who tweet basically the same shit in the same tone. Brooklyn Dad, JoJo from Jersey.
1: <laughs> JoJo from Jersey sounds like a Jersey Shore character.
0: Yeah, but it's like a resistance one. I've seen
1: Brooklyn Dad everywhere. JoJo from yeah, Jersey is a real thing.
0: I wouldn't make this up. Oh,
1: wow. Man, I should be on Twitter more, huh?
0: Yeah. Uh, what's the one we just talked about? It, the one that's always like, retweet if you think Donald Occupied Trump- Occupied Democrats. Yeah. As
1: soon as you said retweet, I did. Yeah,
0: retweet if you think Donald Trump should be waterboarded with Diet Pepsi. That one. <laughs> Shit like that. So there's this whole ecosystem, and Mueller, she wrote as part of that. She went to the White House. They were invited to the White House, which is even somehow more cringe than inviting Dylan Mulvaney to the White House.
1: Wait, these folks were invited to, get like- Did Brooklyn Dad get – did Jersey – JoJo from Jersey get to go to the White House? I
0: don't know if JoJo from Jersey went, but Brooklyn Dad did go. I mean, these days are inviting – I think Aaron Rupar was actually there too at the same trip.
1: You saw that woman who just like flashed her boobs on the White House. Yeah. These days are inviting anybody.
0: Indeed. Okay. So Gil herself has an interesting backstory, if it is to be believed. She sells herself as a disabled war hero and whistleblower – and a wildly successful podcast host who has been helping shed light on the depths of corruption in our government since the Mueller investigation began in 2017. And before the Mueller investigation, which is what launched her into Twitter fame, she was notable primarily for her involvement in The Invisible War, which is a documentary about sexual assault in the military. And in that movie, she tells a story about being raped by a fellow sailor during basic training when she was training to be a nuclear uh, reactor operator in the Navy in 1995. Um, She has two shows, two podcasts, at least two. Uh, There actually might be more. The main ones are Mueller She Wrote. That's archived now. Red Scare. (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And that one covered the Mueller investigation exhaustive detail. And then her new, her big one now is The Daily Beans, which is a daily commentary show. She's very productive. The Daily Beans has over 1,100 episodes. Trace listened to a bunch of her podcasts. Here's how he put it. I'll be honest. I spent a long while trying to find good clips, and it's all just excruciatingly boring tedium. It's not even outrageous or infuriating. It's just bland, basic news coverage with an emphatic liberal slant. There's nothing surprising, nothing exciting, nothing thought-provoking. It's dull. Once you've heard one episode, you've heard them all. Really, once you've seen one tweet, you've heard every episode. So I also listen. By the way, by the way, be that as it may, 4.8 stars oh, fuck. on Apple. Come on, people. So I also listen to a few of her shows, and, and Trace is right. It's tedious. I mean, like, it might be interesting if you are following every twist and turn of trump's legal problems in january 6 and anything remotely connected to trump but like i am just not interested like I, I i do hate the man i really do but for some people hating him has become a hobby if not a job and i'm just personally i am not interested it's
1: not a hobby like a hobby is something you can step away from that shouldn't
0: can you step away you from say this by
1: your whole identity no but <laughs> hobby like that's now one of my jobs it's no longer okay it's Actually, you know what I literally, someone on the subreddit asked about this, so I should address this.
0: No, you should not. Yes. Someone no.
1: asked me no. about it. I blo- I said, I sent a pledge to myself that I would not play until July 1st. Someone was like, you should explain what that means. I literally had to email myself, you're not going to play this game till July 1st. This is fucking ridiculous. Because otherwise, I'll just keep playing it. That's how bad it is.
0: This is your equivalent of like, no fab November, no spire summer.
1: <laughs> no no spire summer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so so Gil, she seems to have a lot of listeners and they clearly get something out of this podcast. But I was just like I was bored of Donald Trump before he even ran for office. And the last thing that I want to do is listen to hours and hours of Trump talk. I just like I'm not I'm not interested. I kind of feel like I should be, but I'm just I'm really not. Um, But just so that you can get a sense of what she does. Here's a clip from The Daily Beans. This is an episode from June 14th. So this is Gil and her co-host, Dana Goldberg, and Gil is speaking first.
2: All right. We have a lot of news to get to (laughs) uh, before. (laughs) It's so much today, Dana. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So Donald was able to find local counsel in Miami, as we said, because his attorney, Chris Kyes, is a member of the bar there. And he was arrested, fingerprinted and arraigned on 37 felony counts in the documents case today. Reports say Jack Smith sat in the front row and fucking mad dogged Trump the whole time. Like, <laughs> didn't take his eyes off of him. And this is from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian on his Twitter account. Trump's attorney, Blanche, entered a plea of not guilty to all 37 counts. There is a bond condition. Donald will not be allowed to discuss this case with certain witnesses like Walt Nada, as provided by the special counsel. Hugo went on to say Trump looked frustrated throughout his arraignment. He folded his arms and refolded his arms throughout with a constant frown on his face. Todd Blanche, his lead counsel, who appeared with Chris Kyes, objected to the bond condition, but too bad.
1: That was like a uh, pretty major antidote, if not a cure to my own imposter syndrome.
0: (laughs) Would you like and subscribe?
1: That was it's just I don't know. I mean, I was obviously primed to find it boring because you and Trace said it was boring, but it's just like. On the other hand, I can like I know that there's a market. I it's like there's a market for white fragility. There's a right, there's a type, and it's like there's a type of person who just can't get enough of Trump investigations. So God bless them, they found that market.
0: I mean, there's a market for people who like want to get pissed on. There's a market for everything.
1: There's a market for everything.
0: Okay, so Gil is also a whistleblower. This is an important part of her story and her identity, or at least she says she's a whistleblower. Here she is speaking at the National Whistleblower Center. She is introduced in the beginning by Siri Nelson, unfortunate name, uh, who is the executive director of the center.
1: Why is it an unfortunate name? Siri? I mean, people are allowed to be named Siri. I know someone named Django. Come on. Do
0: you know what Siri is?
1: Siri, like the Apple thing? Yeah. Yeah, so what? There
0: were Siris before? You can't let's- Uh, Just listen to it. Okay, fine.
2: I am just so proud now to introduce a wonderful whistleblower, an incredible advocate for whistleblowers, a wonderful creative podcaster, Allison, Doctor Allison Gill. Please welcome her to the stage and thank you, everyone, for coming. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Siri. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Jane. I appreciate that. Uh, I just wanted to open up today by reminding everyone that they need to be wary of those who would silence a whistleblower, just like Stephen was talking about, the donor who gave money, but behind the scenes was you know, calling us disgruntled. None of us intended to find ourselves here. Uh, I don't think anyone sets out to be a whistleblower. Uh, when you were asked what you wanted to be when you grew up, uh, I doubt any of us said whistleblower. Uh, in fact, when we were kids, it had a negative connotation, didn't it? We were called tattletale, Snitch, Stool Pigeon. The Brady Bunch did a whole episode about it. But oftentimes, those unspoken rules of blind loyalty and obedience are written by the bad guys and the false patriots. Now, we're all leaders by nature. Okay, I uh, got it. She's a snitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from from what you've seen there, would you assume that she's a whistleblower?
1: Yeah. What was her story? What did she? What whistle did she blow? And how hard did she blow it?
0: Oddly, Jesse, she never explicitly says what she revealed. And I reached out to her. What she blew? Yeah, what she blew. I reached out to her for comment and hear back. And frankly, I think she's using the term as loosely as possible. So part of her narrative is that she's a former senior official at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and in 2016 she wanted to be uh, to run to be a delegate at the DNC and there are rules against federal employees engaging in certain political activities but she sought permission for from her supervisor and was told that she could run as a delegate if she didn't represent herself as a VA employee and if she removed her workplace from her facebook page So she lost the delegates race, but but she says that shortly after Trump won, she was told that government lawyers had filed a FOIA request to get her employee records. She says she doesn't know who or why requested these records, but she says from that point, someone at the Trump administration was looking into her. And then a few months after that... The Mueller investigation began, and she decided to start this podcast, Mueller, she wrote. And she says she took pains to make sure she wasn't violating the Hatch Act, which was this law that prevents federal employees from various political actions. And she went under the pseudonym AG. Obviously, nobody could ever put together AG and Allison Gill. She was very careful. And she launched this podcast along with her co-host, Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Okay, so... The podcast launches, they get some high-profile guests. uh, Former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McKay was on the show, and it started to really grow. And this is according to Politico. This is a quote. By August 2019, the podcast had an audience of 250,000 with about 600,000 downloads per month, Gil said. And many of their live shows, they did 12 live shows in 2019 at theaters holding upwards of 300 seats each, were sold out. So it's a hit, right? That's that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I will say that certain other podcasts have also... uh... Sold out at least one 300 seat. Sold out. Sold out.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, yes, that is those are those are enviable numbers for a podcast.
0: Right. So they're doing live shows. They've got a Patreon. They're selling ads. They're selling merch. It's going well. And then in April 2019, Gill says she was told by her supervisor that her job was moving. Her VA job was moving from San Diego, where she lived, across the country to DC. And if she wanted to keep her job, she would have to move. She thinks that this was retaliation for the podcast. And as evidence, she points to something former White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney said about moving federal jobs in order to induce people to quit.
1: So he actually, like, admitted to trying to get people to quit by making the move across the country or whatever?
0: Kind of. Here's what he actually said. So this was at a GOP event in South Carolina. He said, quote, I don't know if you saw the news the other day, but the USDA moved two offices out of Washington, D.C., I think to Kansas City, Missouri. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? More than half the people quit. And then he continued, now it's nearly impossible to fire a federal worker. I know that because a lot of them work for me and I've tried and you can't do it. But simply saying to the people, you know what? We're going to take you outside the bubble, outside the beltway, outside this liberal haven and move you out into the real part of the country. And they quit. What a wonderful way to streamline government and do what we haven't been able to do for a long time.
1: OK, so. OK, I mean, so her case doesn't exactly apply because she's being moved into right. the beltway, but he does seem to be literally admitting to this behavior. Right.
0: So Mulvaney said that in August 2019, Gilt was told her job was moving in April 2019. Uh, So that's different, right? What's more... Is she
1: a time traveler?
0: She's a time traveler. What's more, he was specifically saying, yes, we're moving people out of Washington, D.C. and into like Podunk, Kansas, not into Washington, D.C. But Allison Gill took this statement as proof that when she was told that her job was relocating to D.C. four months before, that this was retaliation. I...
1: It it's like it's a little bit of a stretch because he doesn't even I mean, I guess if it was retaliation, he would admit to it. But he's literally just talking about like what I have to say, I think is a legit problem, which is like there's a lot of federal positions where you're sort of unfireable. So it seems like apples to oranges.
0: Yeah, I would not put it past the Trump administration to fire people for like politically motivated. Reasons? No, one hundred percent. That seems believable. But I also it also seems plausible that they just want to like, ditch a bunch of dead weight in the federal government. Yeah, that also seems plausible. Okay. Anyway, Gill refused to move to D.C. She told Politico that instead she took a twelve week. So she's told that you know you need to move if you want to keep your job you need to move. She tells she tells Politico that instead of moving she took a twelve week unpaid leave of absence citing PTSD. And she claimed that she couldn't work during this period, so instead, she went on tour with the podcast. And while she was on leave, she was again informed that her job was relocating. She said, again, once again, she said she wasn't moving. And she told Politico that then they, quote, brought me back and interrogated me about my podcast. So
1: I'm going to- Wait, can you do that? Can you say, I have PTSD and then just go to another job? That's awesome.
0: No, apparently not. So I'm going to read you a little bit from this Politico piece now. According to a report filed by Gill's then-supervisor, Patrick Grady, about the podcast investigation he conducted, which was produced by the VA to Gill after she was terminated, Grady confronted Gill with social media posts and photos of herself on tour with the podcast while on leave and asked how she could interact with fans and travel if she had PTSD and was unable to work in an office. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this seems like a fair question, I have to say.
0: Yeah. And then it continues. This is a quote She responded that she was able to do these events as they are a hobby that she enjoys and they do not exacerbate PTS, Grady wrote in his report to the VA's Office of General Counsel, which tasked Grady with the probe. Quote Those events are not linked to trauma, according to Allison Gill. Okay. So Politico says that Gill was ultimately fired for medical unfitness. This, I believe, is what she is referring to when she calls herself a whistleblower. That's not so what that she, is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. I'm no know. expert. God knows I would never whistleblow. <laughs> well, I would just go along with whatever horrible shit was going on. If someone says whistleblower, it's not, I got in a fight about my own medical issues and employment. Right. That's not a whistleblower is.
0: It's also, she wasn't like, her podcast is her analyzing The like the Mueller report and the investigation, she's not bringing new information. She doesn't have like information from her position at the VA that she's bringing to light. That's and there's
1: nothing else that could like fit this label of her as a whistleblower.
0: I could find nothing. I could find absolutely nothing. But that is her. Like that is what she continues to call herself. She's a whistleblower because she was fired. She says she was fired because of her podcast. That's
1: amazing. I can't. I can't work. I have PTSD. Then you go on tour. Then they're like, you can't do that. And then you're like, I'm going to expose this injustice. I'm a whistleblower.
0: Right. And like, let's just assume for a moment that she was actually fired over the podcast, not just going on tour with the podcast, but let's just assume that she was fired for what she was saying on the podcast. That still wouldn't make her... A whistleblower, like I think of a whistleblower as someone who uses their position to gain information and then makes that information public either by publishing it themselves or giving it to a reporter, providing it to like someone in government or higher ups in an organization. She doesn't appear to have done any of that. She didn't have any information about Trump that wasn't already public. Like her podcast is just about analyzing news stories. She's an aggregator. Sure.
1: But isn't isn't aggregating and tweeting a form of whistleblowing when you think about it?
0: Yeah. This is like me reading an article in the New York Times or reading that Politico article that I just read and talking about it on this podcast and then claiming that I'm a whistleblower.
1: You're an investigative reporter.
0: I am. Yes. I am an investigative reporter because I go into strange Twitter feeds.
1: You're a hero. Uh Yes. So a lot of this is disputed, but there's at this point no evidence to think she's actually a whistleblower. She does seem to go around calling herself a whistleblower.
0: And we're yeah, and we're going to come back to her firing in a moment. But this is just one of the claims that Allison has made over the years that doesn't quite add up.
1: Okay. So what what else? What else we got?
0: Okay. There's a lot more, Jesse. And a few weeks ago, a Twitter account called Fraudy and Slip nice. published a bit of an expose about Dr. Gill.
1: She's a doctor
0: now. Well, she has a doctorate in health administration from the University of Phoenix. So, no. Uh, okay. The thread begins. And, and it's unclear if she actually finished her doctorate, by the way. So, the thread begins. The Muller She Wrote Expose, a wild, chaotic ride through Alison Gill's narrative world where little is what it seems to be. Stay to the very end if you want your jaw to hit the floor. <laughs> so, let me describe the thread. So, basically, and Slip post receipt. So it starts out the first tweet. In her own words, Alison Gill is a patriot. And then there's an attached screenshot of Alison Gill tweeting, I'm not a hero, just a patriot. What have you done for our country? I don't know who that was to. So I'm not going to detail all of the screenshots. That would take forever. But what you need to know there here is that for every tweet, there's a screenshot of one of Gill's tweets that it's referring to back it up. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to read the thread. In her own words, Allison Gill is a patriot and a veteran who served in the Navy, protecting us in the first Gulf War, where she would be seriously injured. She didn't see combat, though, but supported those that did from below decks. Her grandfather was in the Navy, too, but sadly went down with his ship. Allison has also been close to death, surviving a risky pregnancy, cancer, and her husband. Trump fired her for speaking out, and she recently lost her cat. So AG has used her colorful, patriotic background to gain sympathy and credibility, but is her backstory all true? We decide to investigate. What we found will shock you. Are you ready, Jesse?
1: I'm strapped in.
0: Okay, he's, he's got his strap on, folks. Okay, so they start here with the story of her grandfather's death. In December 2022, Allison Gill tweeted this. I'm a disabled veteran. I lost my ability to bear children fighting for the First Amendment. I lost my dad to Agent Orange. Lost my grandpa in Guadalcanal. I can promise you Elon isn't a free speech fighter. Twitter is not the government. They're just a private company. Okay, so that's- (laughs) I
1: just love- I'm sorry. This is what gets me because the first half is like serious heavy shit. But of course it's about internet bullshit. It's Of course it's about Elon Musk is bad, which he
0: is, but still. I mean- I'm with her. I'm with her. Okay. So she said elsewhere that her grandfather went down on the USS Gregory, which was sunk by Japanese warships in 1942. She's tweeted several times that her grandfather was killed on the boat. Uh, and Slip got the actual manifest from the Navy, and he was indeed on the boat, but he survived. And in fact, had he actually gone down with the boat, Allison would never have been born because her mother wasn't born until seven years after the boat sank.
1: <laughs> okay. That... That would be pretty dispositive, but how do we know that's true?
0: Okay, so this account has very thorough documentation, including marriage and death announcements. And it turns out that Allison's grandfather lived until he was 78 years old. Uh, They also got a newspaper clipping of something Allison's mom wrote that said that maybe it was like an obit or something that said that the last photo she took of her father was him sitting next to his granddaughter. So that's Allison in her Navy blues. This would have been in the mid 90s. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. So next up, they look at Allison's own career. Uh, She claims she was a Navy nuclear engineer during the first Gulf War, as well as a Desert Storm disabled veteran and a one-time nuclear reactor mechanic.
1: I'm going to guess these things were all completely true.
0: Okay, let's just take these one by one. So the first Gulf War started in August 1990. It ended the following February, February 1991. Allison was born in 1974. She was 16 years old when the war started. She graduated from high school in 1992. So no, she did not serve in the full sco- first Gulf War unless they were enlisting like sixteen year old h- high school sophomores. Could,
1: well, do we know what side she fought on? Because I bet Saddam was recruiting;
0: <laughs> he didn't have
1: enough soldiers.
0: That's a very good point. And in fact, she started boot camp in 1994, so that's three years after the war ended. Still, she is technically classified as a veteran of the Gulf War era.
1: Okay, what does that? What does that mean?
0: Everyone who serves from the Gulf War to what to now. Is classified as a Gulf War era veteran, including, for instance, our very own furry friend Trace, who people might not know this, but he's tweeting about it, so I think we can we can say it. He recently separated from the U.S. Air Force, where I'm pretty sure that he was a an assassin in a fur suit. Um, they must have had him in Japan because, like, he'd fit in there. Um, he did not tell me that, by the way. I'm just inferring that from his personality. So. Gil does not say she was a veteran of the Gulf War era. She says she is a veteran of the Gulf War. This
1: terminology is all stupid and confusing, but what exactly did she say?
0: Quote, I was a Navy nuke in the first Gulf War. Not. I was a high school sophomore learning to drive during the first Gulf War. Uh, At another point, she also said, quote, I'm a woman and a Desert Storm disabled veteran. So Operation Desert Storm, if you will recall is the first Gulf War.
1: I I saw my first action during the first Gulf War. I got in a nasty slap fight at a TCBY. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think this technically constitutes stolen valor, um, which is also something that she has conveniently tweeted about, quote, stolen valor is one of the most cowardly and despicable things a person can do.
1: That's like me tweeting that people addicted to Slay the Spire should be rounded up and shot. There's just a real lack of... (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. Was she... Okay, wait, but do we know she was in the the military after the Gulf War? Was she definitely in the military at this point? I feel like I can't trust anything she says, despite all the whistleblowing she's done.
0: Okay, so that part is true. She went to Navy nuclear school to be a a machinist mate. She dropped out after nine months. Uh, She had plantar fasciitis, which is a painful foot condition. And when the Navy offered to pay for surgery for her foot... Actually, you know, we have a clip of her discussing what happened next. Uh, Again, this comes from the the and slip thread.
2: So uh, the way I got out of the Navy was that something terrible happened to my feet. uh, And they said they gave me the option of having surgery or getting out of the Navy. And and I, you know, and I I played it cool. I said, you know, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm really going to I'm going to need some time to think about that. But of course, I didn't need any time to think about that. But I came back to them a day or two later and, and opted to to exit the military. Okay. So
1: yeah, that's, that doesn't line up with her story.
0: Right. So she lied about being in desert storm. She did go to nuke school, but she dropped out after less than a year. And despite this, she has repeatedly called herself a naval nuclear engineer, as well as a nuclear reactor mechanic and a nuclear reactor operator. And in reality, she has a doctorate in public health from a for-profit online university that advertises on soap operas.
1: Okay. But, isn't there a sense in which we're all metaphorically nuclear, nuclear reactor engineers. operators when you think about it?
0: I mean, I I live like down the street from a nuclear from a nuclear base. I feel like I I'm, I'm I'm one of them. I see people in uniforms all the time.
1: Yeah, I live in a city that's basically a toxic waste site. So I'm a nuclear reactor engineer. Right. Yeah. Does the um, – uh, okay, so does fraud and Slip go into whether she was actually fired by, by the Trumpists?
0: It does, Jesse. Okay, so Allison has claimed many times in many venues that she was fired for having PTSD. She filed an equal employment
1: <laughs> – Sorry, that's just so <laughs> – for having PTSD and then going on tour to do another <laughs>
0: job. Look, okay. live podcast, our therapy. Uh, she filed an equal employment opportunity complaint claiming that she was fired for having PTSD. But of course, she says that was really just a pretext for firing her over her whistleblowing podcast. At least that's what she claims. So here's just a few of her tweets about that. Quote, turns out they couldn't get me on the Hatch Act. So again, that's the law that bars federal employees from some political activities because I didn't violate it, but they investigated me for it. They ended up firing me for having PTSD. Here's another one. Quote, when I worked at the VA, the podcast was a hobby. When Trump fired me for reporting on the Russia probe, it had to become a job. Here's another one. (laughs) Trump has fired all caps. Trump has fired me from my job in government for speaking truth to power. Here's another. I lost my career to bring the news. I feel that. I feel that. And here's one more. Trump investigated my podcast and removed me from my government job. So she's pretty clear on this. Kind of because she's saying both. She's leaning heavily into this idea.
1: Yeah, it's an, it's a good podcast origin. It totally story. is. Like you got furloughed from the stranger, which is like being fired by Donald Trump.
0: Well, I mean, there was a there was a pandemic. Yeah, that's a good origin story. It is. And again, we don't actually have evidence for any of this from her or anybody else. Now, again, I would not put it past the Trump administration to engage in any sort of politically motivated firings, but all we have evidence for is that she was given the choice of relocating to Washington D.C. or quitting, and she chose to quit. And we know this not just because she has said this, but also because Fraudy and Slip actually got the paperwork. Uh, Jess, you want to read this, uh, this image in our notes here?
1: Okay, so there's some language about her being reassigned. And then it says, I have read and understand the management-directed reassignment notice. I have indicated below whether I will or will not accept the reassignment to a new permanent duty station. She checks the option. I will not accept the management-directed reassignment.
0: And read the next sentence there.
1: I understand that I may be subjected to notice of proposed removal from federal service if I decline this management-directed reassignment. This definitely seems to say, whatever you think of Mick Mulvaney's tactics, that that's why she was fired. She wouldn't, I d- did not agree to be reassigned. From San Diego to D.C., can you blame her if you had a choice of living in San Diego or D.C.? I don't blame her, but this is different from her story.
0: Plus, like, would you rather work for the VA or be a fucking podcaster? Come on. Easy. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm not even really sure if she was fired or if she quits. She says she was fired for either having PTSD or because Trump wanted her out. N- Natasha Bertrand, she was the reporter behind that Politico or piece I read from earlier, and she wrote in that piece that Gil was fired for, quote, medical unfitness, i.e., going on podcast tour while she couldn't work due to PTSD. But this document that Gil signed says, basically, I do not accept this reassignment, which seems to me like quitting. I, I did reach out to Natasha to see if she remembered where she got that information about medical and fitness, but she didn't respond to me.
1: That's a good, I mean, I was going to say, even before you said that, it appears that at Fraudian Slip, was able to do more thorough reporting than like The political reporter, yeah. Nobody bothered to, just because none of this would be particularly complicated for a competent reporter to have looked into. This is not Woodward and Bernstein level stuff,
0: right? But you can imagine why they wouldn't. They would just assume that she wasn't lying because it fits the it fits the profile. Trump bad, orange man bad,
1: PTSD lady good, borderline personality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What else did we learn from Friday and Slip?
0: Okay. So I would classify most of what she lied about uh, until this point as misdemeanor lies, like lying about your military service is really bad. But like right this moment, I am wearing a a U.S. veteran, a Vietnam veteran hat that my neighbor gave me. So I'm guilty (laughs) as well. It says disgruntled veteran. Don't talk to me. Um, But during the pandemic, she appears to have uh, stepped up the fibbing. How so? Okay. So her podcast do well. In 2019, so just before the pandemic, Muller, she wrote, LLC, brought in $675,000 from advertising, donations, Patreon, merch, et cetera. And we're not talking about like highly produced content that requires a team of producers and engineers and mixers. We're talking about- Like it, what we right? do. <laughs> Right. So not a giant budget to produce this show. So Fraudy and Slip also got their profit and loss statement uh, for that year. They had about $200,000 in expenses. So their profit in 2019 was $480,000. The next year, when the pandemic hit, she got a PPP loan for $50,000.
1: Was this for like ongoing PTSD treatment or what?
0: (laughs) She said on Twitter that she got the loan because, quote, revenue dried up because people weren't buying products which is odd because that's all people were doing in 2020. Like, do you remember this? Like, restaurants and bars were suffering because people were staying home, but they were staying home and online shopping all day. Like, Amazon's profits increased 200% in the first year of the pandemic. We're seeing a correction to that now. Like, a bunch of tech companies were making so much money at the time that they way overhired. But podcasters were not among the demographic that really suffered under the pandemic, right? Like, If their advertisers had been restaurants or bars or event spaces, this would have been a different story. And in fact, that's why my employer at the time, this stranger, nearly went out of business because people really did stop advertising. But you can see who her advertisers are. And it's like Mattress Companies, BetterHelp, Noom, Magic Sprint, ExpressVPN, like the usual podcast advertisers. They did fine or better than fine. So it's fishy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I, I mean, my sense is like the whole PPP loan thing was like pretty ravaged by corruption. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So she says that she got the loan to cover payroll. Uh, now, this is $50,000. It's not a huge amount of money in the grand scale of things. But, of course, this is taxpayer money that she doesn't have to pay back. And also during this time, she had a $72,000 in student loans, and these loans were forgiven because she is a disabled veteran. Forbes featured her in his story about Biden Loan Student Forgiveness Plan. Here's a quote from this. Gill, a disabled veteran, is more than one of half a million borrowers who had their student debt forgiven under the Biden administration's attempt to fix the federal government student loan system. In late August, the Biden administration announced that borrowers with total or permanent disabilities would have their student loans discharged. Again, she dropped out of the Navy after nine months because of plantar fasciitis, and she used her student loans to attend the University of Phoenix. Forbes doesn't mention this. They do They do write this, however. After she was fired, Gill continued podcasting. Then she and a group of other podcasters raised half a million dollars for President Biden and Vice President Harris's campaign, along with John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock's Senate campaigns in, in Georgia, quote, The irony is Trump fired me, but then I was able to turn around and help fire him. She laughed. And now because of the president she helped get elected, her loans have been forgiven. So I'm so glad my tax money is going to, what's her name? Allison Gill.
1: Very very worthy cause, very inspiring stuff.
0: So Fraudian Slip has two more allegations against her. I'm just going to briefly touch on these. One is dumb and, well, you'll, the other you'll see. So th- th- the first one is that in 2012, after the comic Daniel Tosh was criticized for making rape jokes, she defended him. She wrote a blog post defending rape jokes and listing examples of her own edgy humor. Uh, she was an aspiring comic at the time, and she said in this post, quote, I have rape material. I have used the F word and the N word and the C word. I've joked about 9-11. I have a song about fat girls sucking dick, and only once in three years has it made a fat girl mad. She was 14 and had not yet honed her dick-sucking skills, so I can sort of see where that would upset her. I hope
1: this was at the end of Friday and Slip's um, tweet storm because this is some pretty weak sauce.
0: Wait, no, I'm not done yet. So later, after she became known for the podcast and the Twitter account and being in the documentary about rape in the military, she flat-out denied that she wrote this, over and over and over, And she deleted the blog, she deleted her tweets denying it, and then she got the blog removed from the internet archive, which is not hard to do. You just email them and request it. There were, however, interviews from other sites that she could not get scrubbed from the internet that preserved her opinion. And opinion, by the way, that was actually correct the first time around. Rape jokes are fine as long as they're funny. I just I don't care that she used to be edgy and grew out of it, but she she lied about it. Like people asked her about this, and she said, "No, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me."
1: Okay, because I I was gonna say, like I hope this is at the end of Friday and Slip Sweet Storm because it's such weak sauce, but if. That accusation's stupid. Her continuing right. to lie about it does suggest she's right. dishonest.
0: So the last thing from the thread. So she tweeted photos of herself with some like very serious scars on her head and face. And she said it was from her ex-husband's attempts to murder her. And Frotty and Slip dug up some old tweets where she said the scars were actually from a car accident from before she was married. So uh, I just like we don't know who was driving. Maybe it was her husband driving and maybe this was an attempt to kill her. So I'm just going to like leave that one absent some better evidence. There's also. One more aspect to the Allison Gill story that Frady and Slip didn't mention, which is sort of surprising. In July 2020, one of her former co-hosts, this is the woman Jalisa Johnson, she sued her, alleging that she was quote discriminated against, retaliated against, not paid proper compensation, and ultimately wrongly terminated from the podcast. So a friend of Trace's uh, got some got the court documents for us through some uh, wrangling. Let me read a little bit for you here. Plaintiff is a g- that's. Plaintiff, so that's Jaleesa Johnson, is a gay African-American female who was initially hired by Gill in or about October 2017 to co-host and provide production assistance, including editing, for multiple podcasts. Plaintiff was promised a 25% profit share for the podcast she worked on. Plaintiff's co-host, Jordan Coburn, who did substantially the same work as plaintiff, was also to receive a 25% profit share, and Gill was to receive the remaining 50%. Both Gill and Miss Coburn are white. And race is relevant here in her in her suit because she is alleging that Gil made demeaning remarks about her race and sexual orientation and didn't make demeaning remarks about the white employee, Jordan Coburn. So
1: what are examples of what she said?
0: So she says that Gil called her her black lesbian to check my privilege. Like, you're my black lesbian here to check my privilege.
1: She's just like being a awkward white lady trying to be like, we're pals, right? We're friends. And that's how it comes across. To
0: me yeah, I that. mean, I've said worse things about you in this show. I've reported
1: you to the ADL repeatedly.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, the ADL, like, it's just a bunch of Jews. Who cares? (laughs) Um, Okay, she also says that Jordan Coburn, the other co-host, got perks that she didn't get, including paid hairstyling. And as the filing notes, Johnson was paid 25% of the podcast profit, but according to her suit, her payment ranged from $187 a month to a max of $3,000 a month. So really just a tiny fraction of what she was entitled to. Uh, Johnson tweeted this in October 2019. I can tell you for sure that in the beginning we agreed to a 25-25-50 split, and somewhere over the course of 18 months, that turned into 4-4-92 of just Patreon money. I get no ad revenue, no ticket sales, no merch sales, no PayPal donations, just 4% of Patreon. Sounds like happened to me. I mean, me getting the 92 uh, and that this is that same year that the company made nearly half a million dollars, so. Again, she was getting paid a max of $3,000 a month, according to her lawsuit. Uh, Jordan, by the way, the white co-host, uh, left the show in 2021. So I did reach out to Johnson. I was trying to get a few more details. But she said she couldn't comment because the litigation is ongoing.
1: It, it, what, did, what has Gill said? There are so many accusations here, and a lot of them seem to have a lot of strong evidence behind them.
0: OK, so until this week, she said nothing. Like, this was, like, blowing up on Twitter, and she was just, like, radio silent, which I actually think is a pretty smart tactic, but then this week, she addresses it, really, it really kind of indirectly in an entirely unrelated context. So she, she writes this thread, thread, anatomy of an op, how Saudi-backed Twitter is silencing valuable voices in science, academics, and politics. Follow me on a journey down a troll op rabbit hole. Here's how it works. And then she has like a bunch of different tweets. We get to tweet nine and she says this. Even worse, the Twitter trust and safety officer recently resigned. And Elon, but she doesn't write out his name. She does a little asterisk for the O. (laughs) Elon has stopped paying the Google Cloud bill, which is where much of the remaining trust and stay stuff resides. The entire point is to silence truth in favor of Saudi Trump-backed propaganda. We saw this today with Dr. Hotez. That's the guy who RFK Jr. wants to debate on vaccine safety. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, save yourself.
1: She comes across like she's just trying to hit like every liberal buzzword just to like it just comes across. Anyway, continue.
0: OK, so this is where we get to the part that she acknowledges what happened. It happened to me a couple weeks ago. And no, I'm not going to be drawn into a debate about details of my own well-documented life story. And it all happens the week Trump is indicted by the DOJ. Could you be more obvious with your timing? <laughs> so I guess maybe the Saudis are behind fraud and slip. I mean, or Trump. That's So unclear.
1: It's just it it seems like she's just trying to throw everything at the wall the Saudis you got Elon Musk you got Donald Trump it's also funny because like Look, she has a pretty successful podcast.
0: It's... I mean, he is petty, but... Not that. Like, the idea that that's what Trump
1: would be focusing on, that this is all because, like, literally, she just reads, basically reads the news on her podcast.
0: She also does a segment where people send in pics of their dogs. Well, that's pretty cool. You should send her
1: in a pic And Trump is
0: a cat person. Should send
1: her a photo of moose that where moose, there's a speech bubble, and he just says, care to comment, (laughs) question (laughs) mark?
0: I did reach out to her directly and uh, did not hear back.
1: Um, okay. So this woman barring a lot of, if, if she, if she's telling the truth, this is an incredible campaign to defame her that would require forging official documents. Um, of course, as always, it's frustrating that the mainstream media often doesn't do their job. So we have to rely on a Twitter thread from fraudy and slip (laughs) rather than like actual journalism. But I'm sure Natasha Bertrand will get right on this
0: yeah I'm sure she will Politico will be updating us actually she's at CNN now so maybe CNN will get on it next
1: oh or she, I, we could do a cross platform thing she could team up with Ben Collins to look into this
0: Yo, great idea I, it is misinformation
1: oh man okay so that's um, that's Mueller she wrote
0: that is Mueller she lied alright Jesse any questions
1: no uh, I mean I have a lot of questions for this woman but I don't think she's answering them so I guess we're done no yeah sorry about that this has been Blotter reported. As always, we're produced with help from Tracy Woodgrant and the mysterious Lex, who needs to use better fucking fonts. I'm Jesse Single, And remember, I'm sorry we didn't mention the word smegma in this episode breaking our streak, but we'll get right back on it next week.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, when I said that I lost my grandpa at Guadalcanal, I meant that he wandered off at the Talbots in Guadalcanal City. Just stop asking about it.